0: Astrid and Jamila would like to acknowledge that this podcast was made on the lands of the Wurundjeri and the Boon Wurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to Elders past, present and emerging, and we note that this sovereignty was never ceded. Hello everyone and welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman. My name is Astrid Edwards. Today, Jam is not here with us, and instead it is my great pleasure, and I'm really rather excited to introduce you to Ollie Lathoris. Ollie is a colleague of Jamila's at Future Women and she will be joining us today to talk about barriers. Barriers in fiction, in non-fiction, and most importantly in the world around us. Ollie, welcome to Anonymous Was a Woman.
1: Hello, Astrid and listeners. Thank you so
0: much for having me on the podcast. Often people think that books are this static form that, you know, if they're not published this month may have dated, but really books can be so up to the minute, so topical. And I've been looking forward to recording this episode because barriers prevent so many of us from Fully participating, fully being engaged, fully feeling at home in our families, in our workplace, in the schools that we go to, the places that we exist everywhere, right? I got a bit distressed thinking about this, Ollie, because I start off with a lot of privilege and some of my privilege has been wound back by a bunch of barriers that I experience. And I still struggle. I still struggle with what that means for me and what that means for my opportunities and more importantly, what that means for my responsibilities to those around me. So when Jam told you that we were talking about barriers today, what first jumped into your mind?
1: I really can relate to what you've just said in terms of the fact that immediately when you think about barriers and you think about the own barriers that you faced in your own life and when i think about the barriers i've faced in my life both as a young person as a woman immediately the flip side to that is as you say what responsibility do i have and what barriers are in place for the people around me and i think in any society in any system of oppression in whatever form that might be People are not just getting oppressed, systems of oppression create power for other people. And so, yeah, there's these two competing sides to the topic of barriers. And that first one is, well, what are the barriers I'm facing, but then what systems are putting those barriers in place and who's benefiting from those barriers as well? And as a white woman, as a heterosexual woman, I benefit from certain barriers that are in place and certain barriers that other people face. But at the same time, of course, I myself have experienced plenty of barriers in my personal life, in my professional life. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting topic to kind of look at those two competing sides and what they mean for me and the people around me in my
0: life. So I am a white person and I am really well educated. And those two facts, those two ways of me going through the world, being white means that doors aren't shut on me. And being really well educated means doors open for me. On the flip side, I am a woman and that shuts down a whole lot of opportunities. And I also have a chronic illness that has led to disabilities and that shuts down all sorts of opportunities and it erects barriers around me. I don't think I could have had this conversation three years ago. I would have felt really awkward shouting into a microphone that I'm a white woman with privilege and barriers. And now I think that we should all do that. We're talking about
1: intersectionality, right? So we talk about a whole host of different factors that come into play in terms of barriers, and a lot of them are often not really considered. I mean, when we talk about privilege, it's not just about our gender or our race. Education is a huge one. Affluence is a huge one. Language barriers, all of these things that amount to different barriers in people's lives and how they kind of intersect in terms of what opportunities um, we're offered and what doors are, like you say, shut in our face. So I think both these books today really discuss barriers in really different ways, and I think it's a really interesting topic to be discussing in the climate that we face right now.
0: It is not in a great moral place at the moment and I think that we all as Australians are going to be witnessing a variety of privilege and disadvantage played out in our nation's capital for a while and it raises so many uncomfortable questions that I hope that we all as Australians, not just people who are listening to this podcast but everybody is paying attention so we can all do better. I
1: couldn't agree more. I work in news, and it's been a really intense time in the last couple of weeks to just witness what is happening and what is playing out in our topmost positions of leadership in this country and looking at how that filters down to every section of society in Australia right now and I think to be discussing barriers to be discussing privilege is so important and I think now more than ever we need to engage in those conversations because when we come up at a time like this it's we have to seize those moments where these discussions are really really critical and we have to engage in those discussions actively if we want to move forward because if we just allow them to play out without having those discussions, without having really honest discussions, it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity to move forward. So it's a pleasure to be a part of, of this conversation and, and hopefully a much wider conversation happening in this country at this
0: time. So, Ollie, let's start with fiction. You have bought a book for us to discuss.
1: I have. The book is The Hating Game. By Sally Thorne. It's a modern romance that follows that sort of hate to love narrative between the two central characters, Josh and Lucy. They're co-workers and they're kind of vying for this promotion at the publishing house where they work. It's kind of think sort of 10 things I hate about you or how to lose a guy in 10 days, but put it in an office sort of setting. Very saucy, I thought, and quite an indulgent read.
0: I haven't read anything that's saucy for quite a while, so this is immediately feeling quite attractive to me. Now, I don't know much about Sally Thorne. Can you tell me about her?
1: One of the most interesting things about this author is she actually began writing fan fiction. And in quite a few interviews that she does, both about this book and about her other works, is her background in writing fan fiction and her whole kind of revelation that fan fiction was even a thing and how that's kind of influenced her her later writing. And in one of the interviews that she did talking about this book, The Hating Game, she talks about really wanting to give the readers what they want, kind of letting them indulge in the story, sit in those moments of romance and intimacy between the characters, and I think that's something that really shone through in this book. She also talks a little bit about her love for Twilight, and I just thought that was so fun because it is it is such a fun book, and it, you know, for a lot of us, well, I don't know about you, but for me, Twilight is such a guilty pleasure. And I kind of had the same experience reading this book. It felt like a bit of an indulgence and like a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. I don't know about you.
0: Oh, look, we all should have more guilty pleasures. Look, I obviously read a lot of serious books and they make me happy in one level. But I have such admiration for writers of fanfic. And that is because, as you just said, people who write fan fiction know what fans want and the very act of reading it is just this ridiculous satisfying guilty pleasure that makes the reader so happy and you mentioned twilight i have read all of twilight and i have seen the movies and i'm slightly embarrassed given my age but nevertheless i admit it in public but do you know what fan fiction came from twilight brace yourself Fifty Shades of Grey. So you know how in Twilight, he's a vampire and she's human. And if he, you know, hugs her too hard, she's going to break. So we have Fifty Shades of Grey and all of that actually started off as online fan fiction that was then published and obviously went really well and sold like a billion copies and, you know, made the name of El James. But yeah, fanfic.
1: My mind is blown. But now that you say it, It makes so much
0: sense. I do feel like I've brought the tone of this episode down by bringing up Fifty Shades of Grey. I apologise to you, Ollie, and I apologise for those witnessing. I'm going to try to get us back on to some form of vaguely serious topic by asking you, what made you think of barriers when you thought about the hating game?
1: Initially, I'm not going to lie, I almost struggled to put the two things together. I struggled to marry barriers with this book, but the more I thought about it, the more I realised that barriers is actually a huge part of this story and a huge part of the book. To me, it was definitely more about personal barriers and barriers that we face both within ourselves and our relationships with other people. We often have such kind of strong expectations of what love and what relationships are going to look like and feel like. And when they come along so often, they don't marry up with those expectations. And a lot of that I think is because we ourselves have such a clear image of who we are as people. And we think that we know who we are. We think we know what we want. And we think that someone's going to come along and just fit right in there. And when it doesn't, and when the puzzle pieces don't just magically match up, that's really frustrating. And often we can put a, a barrier up to just allowing those feelings of vulnerability to occur naturally. And even though this is quite a fun book, both those characters in the story sort of do that.
0: You know, it's so true. We all have these internal barriers, these internal monologues, these internal incorrect perceptions about ourselves and the people around us. We often hold ourselves back. So when I hold this book in front of me, it feels like it has a very rom-com cover and it feels like it's not being marketed to me. So I guess my question for you is, who would you recommend this book for?
1: Astrid, I feel like you've almost missed the point. I feel like we've jumped the gun. I actually feel even though this story does take that hate to love narrative, what I find interesting about Sally Thorne's book is that transition from hate to love happens much earlier on than what I initially expected it would in the story. And so what we get is we get to enjoy what happens post-hate in the two characters' relationship and we get to watch how that sort of plays out as the book unfolds. And I actually think that's much more nuanced than that initial hate-love trope because this is what happens in so many relationships. Relationships transition, but what is perhaps more interesting than that initial hating is what happens when those two characters do slowly allow themselves to be a little bit more vulnerable with each other. And that's where the real juice of the book kind of comes in. So in terms of of who might want to read this book or who it's aimed at, I think people who enjoy thinking and reading about relationships and interpersonal relationships and not just classic, lovey-dovey, romantic relationships but who enjoy the comical side of relationships or who enjoy understanding a little bit more or exploring a little bit more about how relationships play out between two people and I think you get that real look inside an intimate relationship. And that's really fun. And anyone who might enjoy that kind of thing, I think would really enjoy this book.
0: I'm so very impressed with you right now, Ollie. Not only did you shut me down, but you also managed to, in that same piece, you actually managed to help me win an argument I had been having with Jamila for a while about silly old traditional romances, which dear God, they bore me to tears. Thank you so much for bringing The Hating Game by Sally Thorne to us all.
1: You are so welcome, and I don't know what I've done in inserting myself into this feud between you and Jamila.
0: <laughs> Ollie, today I'm going to change the tone a little bit in this second half of the episode, and I would like to introduce a non-fiction work, "Mediocre: The Dangerous Legacy of White Male Power," by Ejoma Aluo. Firstly, can we just celebrate that title, "Mediocre: The Dangerous Legacy of White Male Power?"
1: Absolutely we can. That title just encapsulates everything that society is currently undergoing both in the United States, in Australia and in so many other places across the world.
0: Now, Aluo is actually an American writer. She's a black American woman who has been writing for about nine years and her writing ranges across racism, misogynoir, intersectionality, the Black Lives Matter movement, well before it became what we saw in 2020, Feminism and Social Justice. Before we go further into Mediocre, I don't think we can talk about the work without noting Aluo's first book, So You Want to Talk About Race. Now, that came out in 2018. It was a New York Times bestseller. And So You Want to Talk About Race was really exploring the idea that it's not for people of colour, it's not for black people to fix the system, it is for white people to step up, right historical wrongs and do the work. And we're not going to go deep into this book, but I just want to read you some of the chapter titles in this work, which really give you a good understanding of where this book fits in a lot of the literature that has been published in the last, say, five years. So some of them are... Why am I always being told to check my privilege? What is intersectionality and why do I need it? What is cultural appropriation? Why can't I touch your hair? I just feel like before we dive into the problem with white men, we should note that Aluo has, has already written a book for white people to do better. So what did you think of Mediocre?
1: It's a difficult question to answer just because reading something like this is much more or was much more for me like an exercise in self-reflection than just reading a piece of literature for enjoyment or entertainment or anything like that. It much more felt like I had to very actively read this book. I couldn't just flip through the pages, sitting down with a cup of tea, that wasn't my experience. I felt like I had to be very present and very engaged while reading this book because I felt the importance of it as I read it and I felt the weight of it as I read it. And the more I went through the book, the more I started thinking about how it fits in in my own context here in Australia. And therefore, it was quite a dense, heavy read, but it was also really empowering because I got to the end of it and really felt like I'd learned something, but it was a very active
0: read. An active read is a really good way to describe it. This is not your lazy Sunday morning read, but I don't want anyone to think that that makes it a hard read. Luo's style is this really engaging personal essay. And so you're not reading some academic text. You're not getting lost in some long winded, boring research. This is alive. I've actually seen this book described as an open hand. So written by a black woman, extending the offer of friendship and working together and making our world a better place, right? For all of us. As opposed to an attack. And, you know, this is really situated in what has been happening over the last couple of years. Obviously, we had the Trump presidency in America, and this, you know, was written primarily for an American audience. And as Luo points out, almost half of white women in America voted for Trump, but more than 60% of white men in America voted for Trump. And after his election victory, there was huge amounts of commentary blaming the women and there was no commentary blaming the white men. So it's it's punching up. White women have a lot to work on and change and the history of white feminism is a pretty dark and distressing one. But as the title says and I am smiling now into Zoom, white men are supremely mediocre and we will all do better when we look at the barriers they have erected around themselves to keep the rest of us out.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, I think the book definitely does really delve into that conversation of the fact that we as a society elevate men for no other reason other than the fact that they fit the bill of being white and being a man. And in protecting that image we really suppress others who are probably more qualified, more educated, more intelligent, a better fit for for jobs, positions of leadership, whatever it might be. And as soon as we do start to break down those barriers and lift up people who are not just mediocre white men, we are all going to benefit, all of us, white men included.
0: Yeah, even they will benefit when we fix society. So you are right, Ollie. You know, this is quite a a big book. It is one that you will feel as you read it. But I really want to express how Aluo is this vibrant author, and not only does she write these books, so you want to talk about race and mediocre. She's got the most amazing, welcoming, exciting presence on social media. So she's very, very active on Twitter and has a huge following on Instagram. Her Instagram is a delight when it pops up in my feed and I learn stuff from her Instagram feed, but I am also entertained and smiling and thinking about my eye makeup. And you know, there is fun stuff there as well. And I think that's really important to remember that you can be a woman who really cares about your makeup, but you can write some of the hardest hitting stuff against white men and patriarchy that I have read for a very long time. Also, Ollie, random fact for you all. Did you know that Aluo's sister-in-law is actually the writer and body positivity activist Lindy West, author of Shrill?
1: I had absolutely no idea. What What a family. Can you imagine
0: the dinner table conversations in that family? I mean, they're basically just taking on everything that is wrong with Western society and showing us how we can do it in a slightly better way. I love it. Now it's time for recommendations. I'm so ready. So this is always a fantastic part of the podcast. Normally Jam and I surprise each other with our recommendations. So today, Ollie, I would really like to draw your attention to The Shape of Sound by Fiona Murphy. Now, before I go any further, I need to give a caveat. I teach at RMIT's associate degree of professional writing and editing. And Fiona is one of the students in that course. She is currently on leave because she is on a book tour because The Shape of Sound is wondrous. Fiona Murphy is a deaf poet and essayist. She has had shorter pieces of work published in all of the literary journals in Australia, but The Shape of Sound is her first long-form work and it is her memoir of growing up deaf. That in and of itself is exploring an idea and an experience in Australia that I clearly haven't had myself and I haven't seen depicted in much other Australian literature. But also I'm recommending this book because Fiona is a very good writer. Each sentence almost feels like it's lyrical. It almost feels like a poem. It is just a pleasure to open her book and read her words. I am ashamed
1: to say that I have not read this book yet, but I have seen so much about it, heard so much about it. As we know, there is a huge portion of the Australian community that lives with the disability of of one form or another. And it's such a valuable thing to be able to tap into that experience in some way.
0: It's not surprising you haven't read it yet, Ollie, because it is about to be published in Australia in March 2021 i have read the work and the early public reviews are actually comparing the shape of sound to the work of brie lee and fiona wright so if you are a listener who has enjoyed the work the works both long form and short pieces by brie lee or fiona wright i really think you're going to enjoy fiona murphy's the shape of sound but now it's your turn ollie what are you recommending for us today
1: Astrid, I was so stressed when I was told that I had to do a recommendation because your recommendations are always so good and I felt so much pressure. I just thought this is my one opportunity to make a really good recommendation. So here goes. I'm going to be recommending Ghosts by Dolly Alton. And the reason I picked this book is firstly because it ties quite nicely in with the hating game. It's kind of along that stream. It's a little bit more entertaining, it's a bit lighthearted, but it actually goes into some really interesting places. And essentially, if you haven't read the book, the author who wrote Ghosts used to write a dating column for The Sunday Times, and she's now released this book. It's a fiction story exploring the modern dating world, but it's really done in a way that's really applicable accessible to readers of all ages because it explores this notion of ghosting. And I don't know if you've ever been ghosted, Astrid, but I certainly have. And I feel like a lot of the listeners probably would have been too. And while that's kind of a a modern dating buzzword, I think everybody has kind of had that experience of confusion in a romantic relationship where you kind of put yourself out there and then you're met with silence. And I think it's just a really relatable experience for a lot of people. It certainly was for me. And I really, really enjoyed this book and would highly recommend it.
0: I haven't been ghosted in a romantic relationship, but I have been ghosted by people who I was once friends with. You know, that experience is a really hard one to deal with. And it is common to a lot of us, I think. Can you remind me, Ollie, what else Dolly Alderton has written?
1: The other book that Dolly Alderton has had published and it absolutely flew off the shelves when it came out was Everything I Know About Love. And that book is actually not fiction. It's much more reflective of Dolly Alderton's own experiences and her own life, another fantastic read if you get the chance. Interestingly, in a couple of the interviews that Dolly Alderton did about ghosts, she talks about the fact that she was just totally over writing about her own personal experiences and just wanted to write something fictional. But if you can kind of read between the lines, it actually says much more about her own personal experience than anything she's written
0: previous. Ollie, thank you for Bringing Us Ghosts by Dolly Alderton. Thank you for being with us on Anonymous Was A Woman. And thank you everyone for listening. I feel very underqualified to say goodbye to you on Anonymous Was A Woman. Jam normally does this, but I would like to thank you for listening. I would like to encourage you to hit subscribe and hopefully maybe even give us a rating or a review. And remember, we will be back in your podcast feeds on Thursday. On Thursday, we actually have an interview with Nadia Awuso, who has written the most tender and warm debut memoir i think we have discussed on anonymous was woman this year i cannot wait to bring it to you thank you so much for joining us thank you for future women and Heshep publishing for letting us do this we will be back soon